All right, this is AJ, your host for Outdoors Podcast, and today my guest is my oldest friend, my longest-lasting friend, Neil, and I have been friends for 30 years now. Uh, we have done literally everything together. We have uh, we grew up across the street from each other. Um, we played soccer. We did rollerblading. We mountain biked. We went to camps together. We've traveled to different states uh, to go mountain climbing and all kinds of stuff. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So let's jump in. All right, we'll jump right in. So, uh, Neil, you and I have known each other for literally 30 years. Uh, we've done, I think as much as you could do between two guys, our age outside, we've gone camping together. We went to a school that was very heavy into outdoor education. We've been in caves together. We've gone rappelling, uh, canoe portaging. We've gone to camps together. We've climbed mountains together. Uh, we, I, I was trying to think about this the other day. I don't think we actually ever played against each other in soccer because I think you played up a year because you're older. Technically, we were in the same class. It's possible because I think you played against John Morris. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. oh yeah, I yeah, never yeah. played against John because you guys, you had to play a year up. Well, yeah, I was in an older age group. Yeah, um, I think, but I for some reason thought you when you were on Metro seventy four that you were the same, you know, U thirteen or U I don't think so. I think I was always a year underneath you because I was trying to think about that. That I don't remember playing you. I don't think we ever did play exactly. And if we if we did, if we were in the possible, same age group. It's possible that we did once in a tournament. I could see that, yeah. Because I thought for a while we were in different, like you were in, there was Slice and Geisa. We were in the lower so we for in, a while. So that changed. And yeah. then I think you came up and when it went from this, whatever the, your team name changed. We Yeah, when we went from the Voyagers to Metro 74, yeah. we moved up because we, I don't know that we combined with another team, but like we'd gotten good enough right. that we moved up. Right, because I, I, we were on White Star, and White Star turned into Lou Fuse, yeah, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'd forgotten about White Star. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we mountain biked together. We rollerbladed. I mean, all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, you've obviously had a life in the outdoors past, you know, when we were doing stuff together. Uh, you know, you've got a cabin in Colorado now, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff out west. You've been a skier, I think, for, you know, portions of your life. I know that you guys used to go skiing quite a bit, didn't you? Yeah, I uh, grew up as a skier and then actually switched to snowboarding in high school. Um, fellow skier wanted to try it like most high school kids would. Sure. And then haven't gone back since. No so. joke. So you don't ski at all anymore? Nope. Own a snowboard. Got my first hookup last uh, winter. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. And did you buy that here? Did you buy that out west? Um, so Logan, my brother lives out sure. in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and he works for the mountain as a volunteer. Cool. And in return, he gets, um, a, a season pass, cool. which is not cheap up there. Oh yeah. And then he also gets great discounts on outdoor equipment. That's awesome. So two or three years ago, I demoed some Salomon boards cause that was the, one of the boards that he got a discount on. Sure. And sure enough, I, you know, found a board that I liked and it, cool. was, it was nice to be able to ride it before I bought it. Um, so yeah, he got me 40 or 50% off. That's huge. And then I got my boots at a thrift store for 20 bucks. Nice. And they are comfortable as hell. And then I sprung for some good bindings at Alpine Shop. Nice, nice. Do you do, when you're here in St. Louis, do you typically go to Alpine Shop over like REI and things like that? 
or is it just um yeah i mean alpine chops my my bread we actually were this there before we came here Very cool. yeah <laughs> yeah i you know i asked this question i it says sounds stupid to say this but i asked this on instagram uh-huh. a while ago um i was curious about how much more people are willing to spend on a given service to stay local versus to do it from a national brand. If like everything else is the same, if you're buying, you know, if you're going to the Alpine shop and you're going to REI to buy a North Face Thermoball, you know, down puffy coat or a Patagonia fleece, I don't it's think the I, same product, right? Yeah, I don't think that I'm willing to pay more to stay local. I okay. mean, I think that I think the local companies can often are competitive with different sales. Well, I mean, so the, the question that I'm always curious <clears throat> about is REI has that dividend program. Well, yeah, where that's you the other thing. Automatically have a ten percent discount, essentially. REI is not the best example of like a corporate America because it's Agreed. a co-op. Correct. So Agreed. it is the bigger, you know, bigger guy on the block compared right. to an Alpine Shop. But Alpine Shop's got maybe a bigger. I don't know. It's got more clout in St. Louis, probably. I, I, I think mean, Alpine Shop does some things really well. I think they have a better selection of apparel. I think they have a better section of outerwear than REI. I think REI probably has a little bit more gear. Camping-wise, yeah. Yeah, or just, I mean, and I think that they're... Now, I think Alpine Shop's bike section or bike department is right. significantly better and higher and I quality. And I don't think REI has skis or snowboards. No, they don't. In fact, I was I was there uh, probably a week or two ago and heard a guy say, you know, hey, so I'm for that, for that skis. Yeah, that alone. There's yeah. a lot of skiers in St. Louis. You know? Which is always surprising to me. I yeah. mean, obviously they have to travel. Sure. But yeah, that's always surprising but, yeah. to me, like how many people here ski. Right. Because St. Louis, I mean, St. Louis is a very homegrown city. Like most people that are here are from here. Right. You know what I mean? We don't have a ton of like transports in. Right. Well, we were just at the REI out in Denver and that is something. Yeah. You know? it is. I mean, I've that's been there. huge. It's you could crazy. spend half a day there. Yeah, you could. Um, the one in Seattle is really something. Oh, you've you been know? there? I think that was one of the first ones. Oh, sure. Um, but yeah, I went to that one. Uh, that one, the Denver one. Um, but I mean, those are really nice REIs. The one in <laughs> St. Louis, it's, you know, it's cool. It's got that climbing rock and two floor you know it's neat but it doesn't have the bike track that you know the denver one has it doesn't have the gore-tex did you did you go to the um what's it called western i think it's western mountaineering it there's a a really kick-ass uh used gear store like literally across the street from rei Uh, in seattle uh no in denver Oh, oh yeah, we it's, I saw that. And there's like a place down in the basement. It is, is un- it cool? It's so good. Okay. Upstairs, you walk in like we. I don't know how we did a Google search or something. Somehow, Sarah and I were out there September, I think, last year, late September, early October. Uh, we went backpacking at Rocky Mountain National Park, and she flew in. We we learned a very critical lesson uh, on that trip. In that, I we went to Chicago for a wedding on a Friday and a Saturday. Saturday, yeah, Friday, Saturday. Um, And then I flew out on Sunday to Denver because my company has a conference out there that we did. We were there for like three days, two nights or something, maybe four days, three nights. And then Sarah flew in on Wednesday. And by she flew in Wednesday at six o'clock at night, picked her up. We went to dinner, went back to our hotel, fell asleep, woke up the next morning, drove to Rocky Mountain National Park, started going up the mountain. And so she climbed... 
that day climbed 1500 feet of elevation walking over seven or eight miles but she in that 24-hour period had gained like 9,500 feet of elevation from st louis and it just wrecked her yeah uh we then spent three or four days down in colorado springs where her brother lives and after the backpacking trip and in hindsight i would have had her fly in go to our brother's house let her get a little bit acclimated, maybe come to Denver for a day or two. Like right. altitude sickness is no joke. Yeah. And it was very clear between the two of us because I was great and she was right. crushed. Well, the, not, the other thing I always remind people, Denver is one thing that's a mile high. Oh, yeah. But then when you go a little further to the mountains, now you're more like two miles high. Oh, yeah. You get up there pretty quick. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it, and it affects everyone differently. For sure. Um, I've been fortunate enough. I don't think it's really bothered me. I mean, I can feel it in my lungs and I'm a little short of breath the sure. first couple of days, but, um, I don't know. They always say drink water. Yeah. The hangovers are worse if you're for sure drinking too many IPAs. Uh, what elevation is your guys place it? Cause you're just outside of winter park, correct? Yeah. We're down the road in a little town called Tabernash. Okay. Um, they call it the ice box of the nation. Nice. It's got some of the lowest recorded temperatures in the continental U S really. Yeah, and it doesn't get the credit it deserves because it's a unincorporated town or something, so it doesn't get some kind of national recognition that sometimes it... I think there's some place in Alaska that wants the title of the icebox. Um, I'll just take it out. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about your place in Colorado, not getting the, the recognition it, gets, it deserves. <laughs> yeah. Well, for how cold it gets. Sure, so, absolutely. So I think I read in a book... Um, I think it was written in the 1940s, but they had a uh, national U.S. whatever, something official, you know, sure. note that said at that time, which was, you know, almost 100 years ago, um, the lowest recorded temperature was negative 53. So, in that area. Yeah. And I've been there on mornings when it's negative 25. I mean, that's not uncommon. Every winter, I mean, it could in January... Is there a significant difference between the feel of negative 10 and negative 25? Or is it just how quickly you can get in trouble with like skin issues? There's probably some, yeah, some things that you don't know about um, that's happening with skin issues and things like that. Um, Because the only reason I ask is there's a guy that I follow on YouTube that really got me into hammock camping. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's this dude named Suge Mary or Suge Emery or Sean Emery. He's got a bunch of different names, but... He's a, a hammock camper, and he literally spent the first 35 years of his life in Barnum & Bailey Circus. So he's an entertainer, He's a cl- and he was a clown, right? Mm-hmm. So he sings, he dances, he's just kind of an idiot. But he's 50-something years old, he's very entertaining, uh, and he's also really good at kind of explaining the weird little eccentricities that are involved in hammock camping, and just all of his gear and stuff, where he goes. Does a lot of trips and things like that, films as he goes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he's done, one of his trips, was he hammock camped outside for two nights, and the lowest it got down to was negative 42. <laughs> and I was sitting there like, I don't even know how you can be outside. And he basically said, the difference between negative 20 and negative 40, you don't even feel. It's right. just like, if you get exposed, you're in trouble faster. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not like the difference from 30 to zero is then again zero to negative 30. It's just like, okay, it's really freaking yeah, cold. Yeah, it, once it gets below zero, it's cold. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, there's not a huge, you don't notice big differences. Um, what I've noticed is that in St. Louis, 
it, the humidity is around in the wintertime too. Oh yeah. And people don't, you know, people always think about humidity in the summer, but humidity in the winter makes it soak through your clothes. It's a valid argument. You know, so if it's, if it's in the twenties in St. Louis, that feels colder than let's say 10 degrees out in Colorado. Yeah. Or zero degree. I'll take zero degrees in Colorado because it's so dry that your layers, your coats, they you work. Know, it's keeping that away from your skin and sure. it works and you're warm. In St. Louis, it just seems like, you know, it's such a damp cold that it soaks, you know, it really soaks in. Mm-hmm. So I prefer the, I'd take 20 degrees colder in Colorado over, you know, a little bit warmer, damper here. Sure. Uh, any day. So when we were kids, you got you were kind of always the the trendsetter. I'll say, like amongst the two of us. Obviously, you having an older brother that got into a lot of that stuff. Yeah, he was helped, the trendsetter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you got into mountain biking kind of a little before I did, and then I got involved in it. I think you kind of always took it a little bit more seriously. You seemed to have always been able to like go a little bit further in on a lot of these hobbies. Like you were a better skater better mountain biker but it was just like you focused a little bit more on the things that you chose where well, I, was, you, I think you got scattered the, you got the more. better blades the better bike <laughs> <laughs> eventually over time yeah i would acquire the gear because you're the only child <laughs> well i think it was that like i've always been as you can see like i have the gear stuff yeah. like i've been a gearhead my whole life right i think you were one of those kids that was like all right i need a bike and now i'm actually going to go out and bike where i was more concerned with like what pedals should i get for my bike and you're right. like whatever dude i'm gonna go ride um which is why I think you were always probably a little bit better at those things. You were just more focused on the thing itself. Yeah, I always um, felt like, you know, the bike's not going to make you a better bike. Exactly. Until you get a new bike and you realize that that old bike <laughs> was really holding you back. <laughs> so you've gotten a bike again since, you know, you've gotten kind of out of college and, and into your more professional career. How much do you ride today? Do you still do it or is it kind of sitting around? What, what, what do you do with your bike? Well, I'd say I had a I had a nice I had a nice mountain bike when I got to college. Okay, but that bike probably sat around more than it should have. I didn't mind too. But high school and college, you know, you're thinking about girls, you're thinking about driving, you're thinking about partying, you're thinking sure. about some other things besides the good old outdoors. Right. So my bike sat around a lot, um, and then actually, I think my landlord possessed it at the end of our lease because of some stuff that was <laughs> unreconciled. <laughs> so when I got home from college, my first big purchase was uh, a mountain bike at uh, Alpine Shop. It was, um, you know, at the time it came with clipless pedals. It was front suspension. It had disc brakes. So disc brakes was sort of the newer technology that had migrated to mountain bikes from, I guess, motocross or mountain bikes sure. or motorcycles. Um. So it was a great bike. I guess it was considered a you know hybrid of sorts. Um, but I mean, it was a mountain bike. Um, so I had that for 10 years. I thought it was awesome. It still rides great now. Um, and uh, so anyway, so, you know, 10 years later, I, and I rode that a lot. I think I bought it and it sat around a little bit too much, but then I ultimately got a lot of use out of it for 10 years. Uh, and then I, you know, 10 years later, you're the, you're not even riding a mountain bike if it's not full suspension. It used to be that downhill bikes were full suspension. Oh, for sure. Cross country bikes, you know, it was more hardtail. Now it's even a cross country bike. You want that rear suspension of some fashion. So, you know, things are getting lighter and more, you know, technology, but so yeah, then I woke up one day and needed a full suspension bike. So I got a giant Anthem at, um, 
what's the the hub okay on lockwood gotcha and that's worked out well for you oh yeah it's been awesome and do you ride that out in colorado yeah so i i'm out in colorado about two weeks a month and then in the summer months i take my bike for about an hour ride every day at lunch because nice. there's miles of trails behind the house so i don't have to get in the car i can just get up and go that's huge so that's awesome um and then winter park has some really good downhill biking where you can take the chairlift up and just bomb mm-hmm. i haven't done that in a while that's where you wear the full armor yeah but um Anyway, I mean, I'm satisfied with earning my downhills by riding uphill to get there. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, That's a wise decision. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've, I've always thought that, you know, Colorado's got some really awesome mountain biking and hiking, but so does Missouri. Yeah. I mean, it's just different. There's different trees and maybe more rocks in one place, more roots in another. Yeah. But... Have you now? I know your brother's like uh, does some either guiding or fly fishing, just kind of recreationally. Is that something that you've gotten into as well, or is that something that just kind of he's done? Um, I mean, I fly fish, but it's more of just an excuse to get my feet in the water. Gotcha. Um, I'm not as knowledgeable about it. I mean, I know how to do it, and I enjoy doing it, and I do it, uh, you know, a dozen times in the summer or something. That's cool. Uh, Logan probably does it a couple times a week and he floats and probably has some better rods than I do sure. and some better gear, but yeah, he probably knows his stuff better than I do. Is that something that your dad did growing up and or, you know, more recently? Yeah. My dad definitely did a lot of fly fishing. I'm not totally sure when he got into it, but he's done, he's gone to Alaska. He seems um, like the kind of guy that would fly fish. Yeah. So he's done it for you know, 50 years or something. So that's how we learned. Um, he kind of always, I don't know. I think he always thought fly fishing was much cooler than spin, you know, spin casting. Yeah. You know, he didn't like the sitting on the end of a dock yeah. kind of fishing. It definitely seems like there's kind of two parties as far as fishing goes. And there, there's very little crossover. It seems like between the now, two. I like to bridge gaps. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can sit in the lawn chair and fish and enjoy every minute of gotcha. the beer that I'm drinking. Absolutely. But I think fly fishing is more about, you know, it's a little more athletic. Sure. It you're seems do, more active. You're gonna, yeah. You're going to walk down the river and I mean, that's why I like it is just so I can be outside. So and if I catch a fish, that's just, but you know, that's gravy. Sure. And it happens on accident sometimes, but <laughs> Great. Of course he did. Of course. Brief, brief commercial. Dog threw up on the carpet. Of course he did. You guys are doing really well. Unbelievable. All right. Thank you, Meatball. Yeah. Fucking jerk. Uh, so talk actually right along that line. So with fly fishing, if with, you know, kind of the experience that you have, if you were going to tell someone that had never fished before, like what are the things that you need to get? right away to actually like go out and have fun fly fishing and what is the stuff that you like leave that for down the road don't need it now like i have a friend who i was saying like okay i need a rod and a reel some flies some waders and he's like dude you don't need waders yeah, and he was like you don't need waders right off the bat yeah for sure um and i still don't wear waders very often when other people do i, I just like to you know if it's way deep or shallower then i don't mind just getting in sure. um you know it's a little different if it's snow melt or if it's winter you know i mean there's time and a need for waders bigger rivers you know if you're gonna wade real far out there right you probably want some waders especially if you're gonna be standing there for a long time sure 
because usually the water that trout hang out in what's 50 degrees so it'll get chilly after a while sure. if you're standing there but um yeah waders is not you know a barrier to entry um and then even the vest like it used to be that you needed a vest because there's so many little things to hold on to these days i think what's popular is um like there's a necklace where you can hang a couple you just need a couple flies you know your tippet which is Mm -hmm. that fly float stuff um some clippers or pocket knife kind of thing i mean there's only a few things that you use most of the time and then you know the other stuff you can leave back you know not out in the river with you sure. and then also they come up with cool, some cool hats that the bills um you know your flies can stick in there so there's ways to carry a few things without sure. having a big cumbersome vest gotcha um and you can definitely start with tennis shoes you know sandals you know whatever is comfortable sure. tennis shoes work great um i think the felt soles are kind of frowned upon now because they transfer they transfer some kind of you know, um, I don't know if it's like microorganisms mm. or if it's like a fungi or an algae. Gotcha. Oh, from one to the next. Yeah. So if gotcha. you basically so hold the f- on to that stuff. Right. So the felt's transferring things from one river to gotcha. another. So that I think they're getting away from that. Um, it was interesting. I was, uh, you know, being a marketing guy, we were driving to Columbia the other day and it kind of reminded me of this is that I saw this billboard and it said, you know, transferring firewood from one place to another carries all these bugs and beetles. And being the marketing guy, I always think like feature advantage benefit, mm-hmm. right? So people don't buy Cheerios because they're whole grains. They don't even buy Cheerios because they keep you from having heart attacks. They buy Cheerios because by not having heart attacks, they get more time with their grandkids, mm-hmm. right? Like ultimately why you're making that decision, there's this long-term thing that's the real reason, right? And I was sitting there thinking like people don't care in their brain, like as weird as it sounds, when that message comes in front of them, they don't care that bugs move from one place to the next. What they would care about was like the average, you know, moving bugs from one to the city to the next destroys 227 acres of forest land a year. Right. Like then people go like, you're losing 240 acres of campable or experienceable ground by doing this okay i want all my land i'll do i won't do that right so that's i was one of those weird things where i was like mm, bad message there guys you failed right. on that one well then once the trees are dead then it's a forest fire exactly so exactly it was cool i went i went camping i'll show you a photo later but uh i went camping at Han state park a couple of years ago with uh my buddy jason i don't know if you've ever met him but um we went and they had just done a big controlled burn there and so all the ground was like jet black mm-hmm. except for the trail was orange of mm-hmm. pine needles. And it was just this unbelievable contrast. And then we were there in the fall and the, the trees were that yellow color on those fake flowers over there. Oh. Uh, so it was just yellow, yellow black, green, orange, orange, black ground, orange path right through the middle of it. Nice. I mean, it was really cool looking. Right. So those controlled burns, I mean, obviously you got to have them and, and they serve yeah, a they're purpose. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, seeing it like really freshly after it happened was really cool. Hmm. Yeah. That's where I took Leslie camping for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a great park. I really like that place. Yeah. We got lucky. I, uh, I had my eye on a different park in the neighborhood because we were down there at Shawmet meeting the parents sure doing that anyway then i realized han was a lot closer so i mm-hmm. decided we'd go over there anyway all the camping spots were taken and then 
so we dro- and we drove in it was getting dark and i find a parking spot you know it's like the drive up right. camping we didn't have like a remote site yeah sure um which was fine because we weren't that ready anyway um Anyway, long story short, there was an empty one. We parked there, just got our stuff out. And then the ranger came up and said, this one's reserved. And we said, well, you know, it's 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. Yeah. If they didn't show up Friday and they didn't show up all day today, I, I doubt they're showing up. But, you know, we'll leave. So anyway, long story short, he let us stay. And That's nice. Yeah. Good. That's so. awesome. That's one thing that I do. I, I've, for some reason, I took this attitude as this backpacker when I got back into camping. And, you know, my re-interest in camping and all this kind of stuff got sparked on a float trip with a bunch of Burroughs guys like three or four years ago. I can't remember what iteration we're on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and we went, was with a bunch of my buddies. was like, oh my God, I forgot how much I like this. I'm going to get back into it. My girlfriend at the time, she and I invested in a bunch of gear and we started doing it. And I got really into it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got this like, oh, well, I only go backpacking now. Like I don't camp, oh, right, car right, camping. Right, like, that's... Right. That's what's beneath amateur, you. Yeah, exactly. Sure, sure, I took sure. this like really kind of uppity attitude about right. it. And then I started to realize like this, that's really fun. Yeah. Like, it car camping's matter. a great time. <laughs> right. So this year I'm like, I'm trying to be like, let's just go do some more car camping. Right. It doesn't have to be this crazy backpacking trip every time I go. Right. Right. Yeah, that's how, I mean, I, I don't need to be more and more extreme in order to enjoy various sports. Exactly. So I don't need uh, hella ski because I'm. <laughs> good at skiing that's a valid uh, point yeah for sure <laughs> there's still plenty of places you know yeah on the ground that are fine so speaking of lots of different types of camping so we went to a grade school that was super focused on outdoor education i mean i think that's probably one of the core components of their curriculum um you start with a day in the park in preschool and then kind of work your way up from there and by the time we graduate or you know you graduated uh, I left a little early, but by the time you graduate, you're going on a seven, eight day trip in Georgia and Florida and the you know Smoky Mountains and you know canoeing with alligators and all kinds of stuff. So obviously, it's a big focus of that school. Do you think you know? It's kind of interesting to see how many of the kids like I, I'm still friends with Sarah and with um, Rachel and obviously you and myself. Mm-hmm. All of them are still actively camping. Uh, mm-hmm. Sarah's, uh, Sarah Lang, for example, is really active. I think she might work for REI, um, oh, you're lives in the right. Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, and you know, is really active in it. Rachel, uh, is still really yeah, active, that, uh, does yeah. a lot of camping in fact, hammock camping like me. Uh-huh. Um, so how much do you think of that stuff is learned and how much of it is just, you know, like, Oh, well that guy's just into it or that girl's just into it. Like, do you think that that's. Well, I think if you grow up doing it, you're more inclined to do more it comfortable, later. More comfortable, sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people that would be into it had they been exposed to it earlier in life. Sure. But, you know, just by luck of the draw, their parents weren't campers or skiers or yeah. whatever. So maybe they just didn't get into it. Um, but, you know, hopefully there's a trip in high school or, you know, college is always a good place for you. Yeah. That's where a lot of people figure it out. Um so I think, you know, I think the college school obviously had a big influence and there's not, a, it's not an accident that 50% of them are, you know, actively yeah. camping and I bet you the other 50% just is busy right now and we'll, For pro- sure. we'll probably, a, we'll probably re-get into it at some point, has you other know. Pr- yeah, priorities at the moment. It's, um, it was interesting, Sean and I, when we went on our trip to Miami, uh, one of the ideas was that we'd maybe camp one of the two nights or maybe even both and we went to, we flew into Fort Lauderdale, and the whole impetus of the trip was 
Um, Sean has a couple of brands that he really wants to work with and as you know, video production type client work. And one of them is Prana and the other one is Cole Headwear, uh, both kind of outdoor focused companies. And he felt like, you know, if I just sit around and try and like wait for clients to hire me to get the right type of work to show them, I may never get the chance. And so I'm just going to go produce that work myself. And hopefully they think what I do is cool and maybe I can get to do some work with them. Uh-huh. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. And so he, he sent me a text message one night. And was just like, hey, man, trips to Fort Lauderdale, round trip flights are $117. I'm going, so like most of the stuff is covered, probably going to camp. Um, if you want to come, let's talk. And mm-hmm. I just sent him a screenshot of my confirmation number and was like, yeah, I'm going. Right. Um, so we flew into Fort Lauderdale. We got in a car, drove to Everglades National Park, which I don't know why... I was thinking it was going to be different than it was. Um, I guess I just didn't quite grasp what the Everglades were. But just, I mean, marsh, waist-high marsh as far as the eye can see. And it looked like wheat fields for the most part. I mean, it's just like tan grass. Hmm. But then underneath it all is three feet of water. And so it was this kind of weird thing with just like roads through it. And it's really a big focus of it is their kind of bird life. Uh, huge bird populations of all kinds of varieties and shapes and sizes. But so we went down there. We went to this one area called Flamingo, which is kind of this really fun place, a lot of alligators and pelicans and stuff, and had fun there. And then we decided, well, we'll go catch a sunset somewhere else. So we drive some other part of the park. And as the sun starts going down, we just got annihilated by mosquitoes like Mm. worst i've ever been in my life slapping myself like running trying to put jackets and stuff on and we're like if we would have been relying on camping this would have been the single worst night of my life (laughs) because i've gotten into this hammock camping thing and i was literally planning on bringing a hammock so like i would have had zero protection which yeah. means i probably would have slept in a hot car right all night and just so wait you guys got miserable. a hotel so yeah he, he oh. was cool enough and got us a hotel <laughs> and everything was good he prepared ahead of time and we didn't end up planning on doing that so yeah my first instinct it worked. was like mosquito net <laughs> yeah and like it, now i know like if you're gonna go to florida and camp bring a tent like, right mosquito tent all the way don't try and get away like doesn't matter what time of the year you're going to get annihilated. Yeah. Seems so, like you need some good bug spray. And... Yeah. And I mean, we went and got some and then like, we so made that's, a you know, I was thinking about this earlier is people, um, you know, if you go to the Everglades, people are probably, probably Oh, you're worried about alligators. It's like, no, you should be worried about mosquitoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like the alligators, when you go, when you go to Colorado, people are just, Oh, what about bears? Well, they're asleep half the year. Yeah. And they're not really, you know, it's a moose you need to worry about. Yeah. Or a tick. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's um, I was listening to a guy today talk about the bear stuff going on in not the stuff that's going on, but kind of the lack of bear stuff going on in Colorado and that it's just not there's no grizzlies in Colorado, although right. they're starting to see some like, yeah, they evidence might of them there. moving along. Meatball, <laughs> just push him off. Um, so I, I guess they're starting to see some like potential for grizzly bears there. Um, but that was one of the things that I found interesting. Sarah and I are going to Yosemite, uh, coming up in May mm-hmm. and you're not allowed to bring bear spray to Yosemite. Hmm. Uh, a, there's no grizzly bears and B, I guess there's not been like a bear related attack in Yosemite for 
20 years or something. So they're basically saying like, there's no reason for you to spray a bear. bear, Yeah. Yeah. Like just leave it at home. You're not going to run into a problem. If people start getting attacked, we'll maybe change our rules. Sounds like a California thing. Right. Yeah. Bears bears rights. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can't be macing these guys. (laughs) No. And that's, they, they openly admitted that they're, they're very pro bear. Like their website says like, look, we're super pro bear. We want these bears doing what they're doing. They're not going to mess with you. Like, even if you come up on a mother with cubs, you're not going to have a problem. So right. just leave them alone. Right. Um, but it was funny because, you know, I've never had to deal with that, obviously, being in St. Louis and doing a lot of our camping here. We were in Rocky Mountain, and we went to sleep on the first night. And Sarah and I, we didn't get lost, but we couldn't find this backcountry campsite. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were right on the right trail. We just, for some reason, couldn't find it. Yeah. And we looked around all over the place, couldn't get there. So I finally, it was like dark. We'd been rained on all day. And I was like, we just need to set up camp. If a ranger comes on us, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we just bed down close to this lake, uh, Fern Lake. It's a beautiful place. And um, we bed down, we, you know, get our hammocks and everything set up. And then Sarah's like, hey, I want the bear mace tonight. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know something I don't know? I was like fine i get that and then like as i laid down she was far enough away from me that if something happened like i wouldn't get there fast enough mm-hmm. and it made me realize like oh i'm just out here like i got nothing and i'm in colorado like there could be like in missouri you don't worry about anything no, not you really. know it's like a raccoon or a possum or something might come up and steal your food but out there i was like oh there's some stuff out here that could really get ugly mm-hmm and it took me about five minutes of just sitting there being like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was just like listening yeah. really intently. Hopefully I didn't wear deodorant. Yeah, I was just like sitting there going, I hope our bear can is doing its job. And did I put it far enough away? And like, and I'm sitting there thinking like, is there a cliff bar somewhere in my backpack that I'm forgetting about? <laughs> right. And it was just that thing going through my head that I'd never had before being out i mean i got a little freaked out the first time i went solo backpacking i don't know if you've oh, ever yeah. gone solo camping yeah it's scary <laughs> and it wasn't i don't think it was so much the animals thing for me but it was like if someone comes yeah i'm on my own right and i'm far enough away like no one's gonna hear anything yeah and i got nothing i mean i had like a little knife but right. nothing else um which was it's well, kind it's of just a, your mind play i mean you have no one to talk to and you know, tell you how ridiculous it is that there's some guy walking around in the woods. Yeah. There's just not, but it's obviously, you know, I don't know. It's just hard not to think about. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that first trip I was laying in my hammock at like probably by six o'clock at night. And it was, pr- it wasn't summer, but it was probably around now where it wasn't really getting dark till like seven, seven thirty. Mm-hmm. So it took a while and it finally kind of starts to get close to dark and I just start to hear voices and they're little kid voices oh, and there's weird. one campsite on this trail and I'm like okay boy scout troop here we uh-huh. go and they come into camp and they're loud and I was like okay fine at least there's someone else here <laughs> nearby and I was kind of sitting there and then all of a sudden they kind of break up into their little groups and one kid just starts screaming like I don't want to be here mm. and the dude's like well you are so Sorry, right. uh, nothing we can do about it now. And so we're sitting there, you know, whatever. And then these three or four kids literally just put on a ground sheet, lay their sleeping bags down, and they put a tarp over them, but like no tent. They're 10. And huh. I was like, oh, they're way tougher than I am. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And it just made me like, 
all right, dude. Right, tough it up. Yeah, tough <laughs> up a little bit because these kids are totally fine and they're 10. Um, do you have any, what are your most memorable trips from when we were at the college school? Because like I have two or three hmm. that are, like really stick out in my mind. Well, the wilderness trip I thought was cool. Sure. Um, just because they, you know, let you off on your own. You're orienteering. You're using a compass. You're using a topo map. It was kind of like a big scavenger hunt. If you had to orienteer today, would you be able to do it based on what you learned? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I knew. I mean, I know kind of what I'm doing. I don't. I was think the reason I ask is that I the very first camping trip that I went on with my ex girlfriend, um, we got super lost. And I lost the map within like the first two minutes that we were out on the trail. And it kind of hit me. I'm like, oh, we're out in the wilderness. And if we get lost, like we're just going to have to walk towards the sun for a while until we run into a road and then hopefully someone comes. Right. So then it made me realize like, oh, I need to figure out how to figure out where I am and all this kind of stuff. So I go home, I watch YouTube videos on orienteering and there's like this whole system like it's not just like i have a map i know which direction i'm going i know about how far i've gone so this is where i should be right there's this whole system of like you take this edge you put this point you know you're going over here so then you use this thing you dial the compass a certain direction and that tells you where the sun is there's this whole thing to orienteering that i had completely forgotten about right and i know we did some of that yeah i think it was more looking at the compass knowing which way north was yeah and you know, then the topo map shows the topography, obviously. So I think we were trying to f- identify features yeah. that were on the map that we could identify. Features, yeah. yeah. And then obviously things like streams and rivers or yeah. notable things. On, you know, there's major landmarks. There's, yeah, major like landmarks. And then you yeah. use that as an origin and then say, okay, well, if that, this, you know, that hill looks like that hill. Anyway, I'm sure it gets m- way more complex and you oh, can yeah. be either good at it or an amateur. So I would be. Still a sixth grade level. Yeah. yeah. My my girlfriend's brother uh, will make most people look very amateur in just about everything they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like one of the more impressive human beings I've come across. Right. Um, her brother got into West Point, didn't go. Uh, like, I, I can't remember how small of a population that is, but it's like infinitesimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did ROTC at Missouri Rala. Ended up getting uh, into the ranger program, became a ranger instructor. So he was like special forces, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's working, you know, he's like in intelligence or something like that. Um, but a really accomplished guy. And like you go to his basement and there's just, you know, accommodation after accommodation. Like, oh, he's the best at this and he's the best at that. Mm-hmm. He's very quiet. And I've talked to him and I'm just sitting there going like, oh, I could drop you anywhere. Oh, right. With. Uh, you know, bubble gum and some shoestrings and you're just fine. Right. And he was like, yeah, well, yeah, no problem. And it was just like, oh, you have a whole nother set of skills, like beyond the military stuff, just right. like the ability to survive outside, live off land, figure out where you're going, all that stuff. He's just like, oh yeah, you go over there and then you just do this and then pep, pep, pep. And it was just fascinating talking right. to the guy. I wonder if those guys get into camping as much you know what i mean like they obviously have to know I, how to do it i think the special forces guys are like i get enough of that as it is i right. don't need I to don't go, need to go <laughs> do it on the weekend yeah exactly yeah. i think it's kind of more especially like he's got a family and stuff like that so i think it's more like time with the kids now as they get older you know i'm sure that'll probably be part of their activities right um but i don't know you know they may just be like yeah 
done. Been there, done that. Don't well, I like my air conditioning. Speaking of getting lost in the woods, last winter or the winter before, I guess it was the winter before that. It's been about a year and a half, but there was a, like I said, you can go right out the back door of the house in Colorado and you're in the woods. And there was a guy that went hunting with some friends and he got turned around and then it got dark. And when it gets dark, even in the summer, you know, I mean, it's below freezing. Oh, yeah. So, and this wasn't the summer. This was definitely fall, probably October. It was probably October. Anyway, long story shot, short, they didn't find him until the spring. Oh. You know. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It can happen. I mean, if you get lost, you better have plan B and C. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That was one of the nice things about where we went in Colorado was that, you know, and, and to what we were talking about kind of off mic is I'm fascinated by how difficult it is. Like I have a background in camping did it you know growing up my dad took me i've done enough of it here trying to figure out hey we want to go to rocky mountain national park what should we do if we want to go backpacking for like four days trying to like not only figure out where to go but then how to get there Mm -hmm. like you know there's just like all these weird random web pages that didn't seem like they were really like succinct or, or concise and it was like well you got to go in at this entrance, but then you got to go to this ranger station or that ranger station to get a permit. And you have to do it at eight in the morning. But if you don't get to the parking lot by six 30, then you're not going to get a spot. And I'm like, well then how, like none of it seemed to really right. jive. And then like, once we got there, everything was cool. It was manageable, but like the, the, the way that they show you how to do everything is really dysfunctional. Right. And well, even the reserving of the campsite stuff, right. Print this form out. And- yeah. But once we got out there, the quality of the trails, there's tons of people out there. Um, so, like, we never went more than probably a few hours right, without, without seeing, somebody. seeing somebody. Right. Um, we, we were actually walking down a trail, snowing and hailing and sleeting on us. It was We got, like, the bad weather that hits through Estes Park randomly, seldomly. Mm-hmm. Um supposed to be sunny the whole time we were there and then like last second the weather just shifted and we got well, crushed in the, the afternoons there's always little showers showers sometimes a hailstorm yeah or we got sleeted on for like six or seven hours straight oh, that's just yeah. gnarly and yeah. then rained the whole time uh, we were dry for about 12 hours and so there was a, a couple that was walking by and they were from florida and they were like out in it i mean we were two days in and the, they're walking by and I go, Hey guys, how are you? And the girl goes, it's the first time we've ever seen snow. Oh. And I was like, and you're up here like, Whoa, <laughs> right. bold folks. Yeah. Like good job <laughs> taking right. some risks. Um, it fascinates me like how difficult it is, especially for someone that's a beginner to like, what do you do? Where do you go? How do right. you do it safely? Right. How do you learn? Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, quite frankly, like you could go in without a permit and then just walk up into the woods. I think a lot of people do do that. Yeah, I think so. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, have you had that experience in parks that you've gone to or, or things like that? Um, well, I think overcrowding is always an issue in the summer. Sure. Um, I know that Logan always talks about Yellowstone and Grand Teton being just, I mean, packed, packed. Yeah. Um, I know they're talking about raising prices to the parks. Um, 
The economic model, you know, and it's this has been an interesting year for me because I am typically, and you and I have had this conversation in the past, I kind of have always had this very libertarian mindset, right? Where it's just like privatize everything and, you know, the government system doesn't work. And then the first time that my, something that's really hit close to home when public land started getting threatened this year, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was like, well, no, but we have to have public lands. Right. So it like really challenged my kind of total dogma of politics. Cause it was like, oh, did you think that way? Cause nothing ever really mattered to yeah. you, like affected me personally. Cause a lot of the decisions, you know, I kind of well, hover I think in the national park system is one, you know, um, nonpartisan governmental thing like you know interstate highways or something well the only reason i say that is that like the the parks are a money losing endeavor right like we spend a lot more money managing the parks than the parks bring in yeah All, but as like a whole system there's yeah, three but, or five you know 10 parks that really crush but then there's a ton of parks but don't you think that those parks have uh businesses around them that are you know, the oh, park no, no, itself doesn't make the money, but hundred percent. And the reason I'm saying this is that if the parks are going to raise the prices, I'm not overly mad about that. If I mean, it's if it helping the, them yeah. stay open and be supported, like right. the fact that Sarah and I got to go spend four days in what I would say is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life for $25 for right. the two of us, including parking for three days. Like that's probably not a realistic business model. Now, granted, we're paying taxes to support it and all that kind of stuff, right. too. Well, we were talking about the coast of Oregon versus the coast of California. Right. I mean, the big difference is the coast of California is all privatized. Sure. And rich people own it, and people can't get access to it. Yeah. Oregon, it's all public. So public parks, you know, national parks, I mean, if we don't have them, then some rich guy is going to buy the Rocky Mountains and say, let's get out. Well, <laughs> and see, the, the funny thing is, and this is where, again, I got kind of challenged, was... Have you been to Garden of the Gods down in yeah, uh, we Colorado just, Springs? We were just down there. Yeah. Okay, so if you saw the giant plaque when you walk in, that place used to be owned by a private citizen who then, when he passed, said, I want to give this to the state because I think it's great, and mm-hmm. I will give it to you for free as long as you promise that it will be free oh, right. to the public. So there's there's always like examples where they challenge that model, right? Where like maybe there's a rich guy that goes, I mean, Bill Gates, he's giving right. his money away. Right, right. So, well, that's how the botanical gardens got started. Exactly, right? right? So there's always going to be like this kind of push and pull between the two, and there's no way for either side to know right. factually. It's all theoretical. Right, and on, I'd say Garden of the Gods, it's awesome that it's free. Absolutely. Because it's free, it's hard to find a parking spot. Yep. And it's, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a zoo there. You yeah, know? tons of people. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to find a balance because yeah. you don't want to charge because you don't, I mean, you don't want to charge too much because you want to keep it accessible to the masses. Yeah. And, and especially know, even the people that live in the that people area. people that pay taxes, you know, they own that park too. Yeah. So. It was funny. My parents. But if there's too many people there, yeah. then the park is getting crapped on and it's not going to be a park in 150 yeah. years or whatever. So it's funny. My parents, uh, I was talking to them. They've moved out to South Carolina. Uh, they bought a house finally. Uh-huh. And I was talking to them and uh, they said that they got something in the mail or somehow it happened where they got, I don't know if you heard about the senior discount for park memberships. You could literally buy a senior citizen park 
membership for the national parks for life for $20. Nice. And they didn't do it. I was just and it was like a narrow window. Yeah, there was huh. a narrow window and lots you could do it. And they were like, nah, no thanks. And I was like, Oops. what? <laughs> Why would you? Like, you're going to go to one maybe sometime. If right. not, I think one 20 visit bucks. Pays for itself. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's 10 or 15 bucks a person or per car each time you go. Right. And granted, there aren't a ton of national parks where they live. But I was like, one time, like $20 life. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't go to Six Flags, but if somebody said a lifetime membership's twenty bucks, right. I'd buy one. Right, you lifetime's know? a long time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, hmm. are there any specific places either in the United States or even abroad that you would really love to go see? Uh, Alaska's obviously, you know, uh, on the list. I've never been there, um, so fishing would be awesome. Camping would be awesome. I've heard the snow is incredible for skiing. So Alaska's on the list. Um, I think you might be able to see the Northern Lights from up there mm-hmm. if you plan it right. Um, Tokyo keeps showing up on the radar for skiing. Really? Yeah. So That's I a big part of Japanese culture, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's a... I've heard that there's some really weird activities, especially based on the fact that obviously Japan has an incredibly small landmass. Right. Well, they I think have they've got really some... drastic topography. Yeah, so I think they've got some good mountains, and apparently they get some really awesome snow oh. as a result of being an island nation. You know, Interesting, I don't with know. all the water around and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Sure. So that's been... And I, I think it'd be fun to go to Asia, so it wouldn't just be a ski trip. Yeah, kind of a Southeast Asia type of thing. Right, so i do more than that, but try to plan it so I could try this, you know, famous skiing. Yeah. Um, so Alaska's definitely on the list, and then, you know, Patagonia, getting down there would be kind of cool. There's good fly fishing, there's good, you know, probably good, a little bit of good everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine went to Columbia and mountain biked and... That, that was fun. But, I mean, I think anywhere you go, whether it's South America, Alaska, Canada, yeah. you're going to run into, if you're looking for it, good fishing, skiing, biking. Yeah. I, I told Sarah that if there was something that I would plan on saving money for for my kids, like, you know, obviously we talked offline about kind of my thoughts on the future of college. And I was sitting there thinking, like, I would much rather, you know, granted, I want to be able to send my kids to good schools and all that kind of stuff when they're kids. But I think, you know, at a lot of schools, you can get a great education if you apply yourself. And, um, you know, you and I would have turned out great had we gone to Webster. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, maybe not me, but. Um, and I, what I would love to be able to do is to my to say to my kid, kids, uh, when they finish high school, if that's still the, the path that the, we're on, is like, here's some money, not a ton of money. You know, here's in today's world like here's fifteen thousand dollars go travel for a year or two like do it super cheap stay in hostels backpack stay with friends figure out how to experience the rest of the stuff out there because you know i think for a lot of kids that you know corporate america is kind of this path that obviously a lot of our parents kind of led us towards and I think there's a lot of kids out there that like might want to be a fly fishing guide, mm-hmm. but just don't even know how to go down that path. Or maybe they would want to, you know, go live on the coast of Oregon, or maybe they want to, you know, ski in Japan. Um, but if they're not given that opportunity, then they, it, that whole life just may not open up to them. Right. Um, you know, or, you know, maybe they fall into a, a career at the college school because of, you know, they see this path of like, oh, you know, that could be a big part of my life. Right. Well, I I think I would 
I agree that would be good. I think, uh, you know, I think you still have summers to do some of that. Sure. So you don't have to totally bail on college yeah. for a year or two. I mean, I always said that I was going to do that. You know, I'd go travel for a year and yeah. figure out what, I, you know. But I think I think in a lot of ways, if you don't jump right into college out of high school, you it'll be that much harder to jump it back into it. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, your friends graduate and start getting jobs and you're now you're two or three, four or five years, but you know, you're getting mm-hmm. behind them. That could be hard. That being said, like I regret not, I wish I worked at a national park in the summertime. You know what I mean? And I wish that I, yeah, guided, you know, I wish I was a, a lifty for a couple of winters, you know, I mean, One there's all my, those jobs that you wish you would have done when you were early twenties and now you're getting a little too old or you, yeah. you have a mortgage, you got, responsibilities yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't adult stuff adult stuff yeah, yeah. I, one of my big regrets um in the long run was i really wish i would have gone back and been a counselor at sanborn oh yeah that's logan, like logan did that for one a of the things of that i really regret uh, not doing yeah something um, like that a camp counselor in colorado yeah I mean, that is something i would wish i would have done at least one summer if not more for sure um or yeah i mean i think the people that work at like even the restaurants at the national parks or the lodges yeah you know, that'd be fun. Yeah. Or just, you know, figure out a way to spend a summer somewhere else. Right. Other than St. Louis or well, you know, somewhere in the Midwest doable. or, you know, yeah. yeah, like the, the, we went to Boulder for a night after we went backpacking and just the vibe in Boulder. I was like, this would have been a really fun place to spend a summer mm-hmm. washing dishes. Right. Like even right. if you had a terrible job and you were working 35, 40 hours a week and had a terrible apartment you'd still have a ton of fun. Right. Well, I think um, a lot of people do do that. Yeah. <laughs> work two jobs and yeah. so they can ski all day and yeah. fish all day and they work nights. You know, people do do that. Yeah. It's uh, not... We went to a restaurant when we were there uh, called Mountain Sun Brewing Company. And I, I... Props to them if anybody ever hears this down the road, whatever. Um, might be the best dining experience i've ever had now, it wasn't the fanciest place i've ever been but and maybe it was the fact that we just come off of four rainy nights in the mountains yeah that helps and i wanted a burger and a beer and they did a great job serving me a burger and a beer mm-hmm. um but the whole place like the friendliness and just the energy of the people i was just sitting there going like man how do you recreate this in st louis and on the conversation that sarah and i had was like i don't think you can because right. just like the natural way of life in that area, just like very conducive to that mentality um, where it's just like, yeah, man, things are great. You know, we're having a great time. We're going to serve you a kick-ass burger. Right. It was just, I don't think you could repeat that. Right. Um, well, when you, you couldn't force it. When you get on the lift in uh, any ski resort, you know, it's, hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah. And it's living the dream. <laughs> Another day in paradise. Yeah. You know, and they're making minimum wage. Yeah, for sure. So that's cool. What else, man? Anything else? Um, well, no, I think we you... touched on some things. But yeah, we could that's a good start. Right, revisit it. Um, I still have some stories to be told. For sure. Yeah, we'll revisit it another time. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Thanks right. for coming. Good this first, cool. Good first podcast. Let's go eat some dinner. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cool. Over and out. See ya.